This episode was recorded on the lands of the Ganical people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We honour their histories, cultures and traditions of storytelling. Hello and welcome to Plated Three Food Memories. I am your host, Savas Savas. For 25 years, my catering company, Plated, has contributed food experiences to some of Australia's premier events and intimate gatherings. During this time, I've observed the relationships people have with food and devoured thousands of conversations around it. I believe that every memory can be pinned to a food experience and every food experience can trigger a memory. Food memories shape who we are and remind us where we have come from. One of my early food memories is eating a banana paddle pop on the miniature train at Bronte Beach in Sydney. Join me as we move the fork around my guest three food memories to reveal what their memories tell us about them and motivates them to make our world a better place. Each guest will share a social cause close to their heart at the end of the episode. My guest today on Plated Three Food Memories has the best poker face in town, Lisa Havilah. Disengaged and disinterested with high school, Lisa left to set up an arts festival in the Southern Highlands community. Lisa would go on to take directorship roles at the Kasula Powerhouse Arts Centre and Campbelltown Arts Centre before stopping a while at Carriage Works as Chief Executive. During her time here, Carriage Works became the fastest growing cultural precinct in Australia. The farmer's market at Carriage Works you make your weekend pilgrimage to, you have Lisa to thank for this. Lisa's current role as Chief Executive of the Powerhouse in Sydney will eventually take her back west to Parramatta where she has been tasked with the biggest arts infrastructure build in New South Wales since the Sydney Opera House. Lisa's mastery is her ability to appease the bureaucrat while allowing the artist to widely create where no artist has created before. Artists will tell you they are deeply blessed to have her as their unapologetic spokesperson. Bureaucrats will bathe in her glory. Lisa's life work has been to nurture an arts culture that is vibrant and wide-reaching. She served this up next to food in a way that is non-derivative. Inconspicuous and laconic, it has been said, quote, unquote, you don't know Lisa is in the room until she has said the smartest thing in it. <laughs> Lisa, welcome to Three Food Memories. Oh, How are you? Oh, what a beautiful introduction. I, thank you. Lisa, I just want to draw on, on a quote by Sir Roy Strong, one-time director of the, um, the V&A and the National Portrait Gallery in London. He said that the strength of a director doesn't rely so much on the support of the institution, rather that of the outside world. Um, so audiences, artists, benefactors, bureaucrats, you use food as an agent to bind them together in a way I have never experienced. 
How important is the use of food and hospitality in helping cultivate the next generation of cultural institutions? A lot of people silo, you know, food and commercial programs and arts and culture and, you know, history and storytelling into um, separate experiences. But it's the, it's the ecology of all of those ideas that make a great experience. What are some of the stories you would like to tell with the work that you do? It's really uh, the institution in the service of the community or the creative or the artist that's there to enable stories because the community is the knowledge holder. And so it's really that inverting of hierarchy that I really believe in and I think those first-hand stories told without any sort of interference um, uh, or explanation, I think for me that is the most special cultural experience you can have. Okay, Lisa, let's move into our, our three food memories. You sent these to me overnight and they were just a bundle and I was trying to unpick them and I thought, there's more than three food memories here. <laughs> there was about 20. Was I could have kept on writing, but I thought I should stop. Well, I kind of wish you hadn't because what it did point out to me was that your whole life is a moving feast and it's ever-changing and there's always something going on. So... Let's start with your first one. What is it? Okay, um, I suppose food, because I come from a, a, a family that, um, uh, a farming family essentially. My, my grandfather was a dairy farmer and my father was an agronomist. Uh, we grew up on a farm, animals, uh, food, um, the making of food, the milking of cows, all of those things have been embedded in my my whole life and some of my earliest memories are you know milking milking cows with my granddad that smell of milk in the vat when it's still like really really warm you know on a cold day like I have a very clear memory of that and where was the farm Lisa so my grandfather's farm was in Corndale which is uh just between Byron Bay and Lismore so um and you grew up in that area uh for my ch part of my childhood and then we moved down to the south coast to Berry, and my father bought a beef cattle farm and so there was this mix of beef cattle farm and then i'd go to my grandparents for um, school holidays and we'd be milking cows so there was a lot of yeah, cows and horses essentially and chickens and geese and all of the animals that you imagine on a farm my very best friends who lived over the valley um, had a dairy farm and so i used to go over and spend weekends after school and, um, you know, they'd have to help with milking. I'd come and help as well, would have to feed the potty calves. And so there's, there's always a sort of that experience of, yeah, being around cows, feeding potty calves. I also bred Australian Elora shorthorns. So we used to show cows as well <laughs> in the local show. So there was always cows were like, a, you know, very much integrated into my, into my early life. And, um, yeah, I used to love going next door and, and, and visiting our neighbours, the Rawlinsons, and they were very much embedded in, in sort of the daily life of growing up. And um, we used to go, I remember we used to go get up sometimes very early and um, uh, I just remember sort of walking back down the road and we'd sit around this huge table eating buttered toast and one of the things, that's one of the things that I, just that memory of um, 
toast and butter and um, being up really early in the morning. And was the bread made? Was it? Was it? No, it was just store-bought bread, <laughs> store bread with, toasted uh, with butter. And that's all it was. And it was that whole thing. Let's put the toast in, muddy boots. Let's yeah. put the toast in. Let's get that butter. Let's get that big blade and swipe the butter across the exactly. bread. Exactly. And just that beautiful smell of toast. Nigel Nigel Slater wrote that wonderful book about his life, and the title of it was Toast Too. Oh, I haven't read that. Toast is the basis of his entire. Um, Bio, uh, autobiography and it's wonderful and you can actually see this in your memory yeah so for your second food memory let's go i think my second food memory is also um connected very much to family my mother was an incredible cook and one of the things that um i used to do for her when i was in high school is she was part of this um food club called Giggling Gourmets. And so once a month, um, everyone would get together and bring a dish. And my mum at that time was working and studying ceramics. So she was learning to be a production potter. Um, she was she was learning, um, yeah, to throw mugs and cups and plates. So that was really what she did for um, over 20 years. She gave me this one opportunity to uh, cook for, um, for, for this group and then once I did it once I just kept on doing it for a number of years so she had this whole set of women's weekly cookbooks and I think I went through I think there must have been about 20 of them you know how you used to be able to get them at the news agency yeah. so I used to cook from those women's weekly cookbooks all the time for um for giggling gourmet so I just have these memories of like cooking, you know, veal scallopini and it being very fancy. <laughs> and she would take it to her like special dinner and I'd be so excited that, um, you know, I'd had the opportunity to do that. Your mother was a production potter. Can you tell us about her personality, her character? Generous and loving and soft and, um, yeah, just was a very nurturing person. An incredibly creative person as well. And I think um, she really, her creativity is something that, you know, it was, I think, led me into, you know, arts practice and what I'm actually doing today. What was your grandmother like? She always had, you know, incredible food. She was always baking. Always she was always baking. around food, always in the kitchen, always baking. Uh, I remember we used to getting out of a car after being in a car from for like 10 hours driving from the south coast and she always had a freezer and that's quite strange a freezer full of jam jam rolls that were iced and covered in coconut and so i i just have this clear memory of um going to her freezer and just biting into like jam roly-polies and um <laughs> what is a jam roly-poly so it's a sponge? It's a sponge that's rolled. Um, and then she would cover it in icing and then she would cover it in coconut. But then she she would we she also taught me how to make date loaf and I used to go into the local berry show making date loaf. <laughs> I did I actually did came first in date loaf once at the berry show. <laughs> so you've spoken about your your cooking relationship with your grandmother and your mother. What was your cooking relationship like with your father? That was a little bit more um, forced. <laughs> me forcing him to cook, cook with me. <laughs> and when he did, it was actually it was actually really great. But it was much more because he was a, 
he was a scientist and a researcher. It was much more um, less creative and let's say more about the detail. And um, in particular, I have one memory where um, I had decided I had this, you know, that new Christine Mansfield cookbook that had just come out and um it was my mum's was it her 50th birthday I think it was her 50th birthday and um uh, I said to my dad like okay let's like let's do something really special for mum let's make her like this duck pie and <laughs> essentially <laughs> my dad and I spent two days making that duck pie with all of the we made the pastry we cooked yeah we did it with such precision and it was it was very special to actually do that with him because um he was never very available. So I have a very fond memory of spending those two days preparing a very special dinner party for my mother's 50th birthday. It was a great memory in terms of, yeah, getting to spend extended time with him, which didn't happen very often. What was the area of science research he did? He was an agronomist. So he was a um, he worked for the Department of Agriculture. And so one of his big projects was he developed a particular species of ryegrass called kangaroo valley ryegrass which uh, increased the percentage of fat in milk in dairy cows and so he he was quite you know incredible incredible in sort of impact in terms of long-term projects that contributed to Australian agriculture. So far you've shared three family food memories with us the farm and the agriculture and grandparents what's a more recent food memory that sticks in your mind? I think one of the things that was so special about Carriage Works was, and the way that we thought about programming at Carriage Works, was the real integration of food experiences into the and food as a creative um, a creative process as part of a broader contemporary pre, contemporary arts precinct essentially. So we we really saw food, the practice of making food, the practice of hospitality is completely embedded into how we conceived Carriage Works as a place. And so through that, we were able to, through that concept and through, you know, Carriage Works farmers markets and a whole range of um, events that we, food events that we developed and the way that we integrated food experiences into how you experience um, a piece of work or a commission or as part of seeing a piece of theatre, it really, I think, um, transformed um, people's experience of what um, a contemporary arts precinct could be. And I, I have so many, I have so many um, memories of, you know, some of those events that we did of, you know, how we worked, for example, working with Mike McInerney on, you know, really thinking about how we could expand and uh, sort of rethink how we could do, carry, you know, grow Carriage Works farmers markets. What were the key ingredients, the factors, the important factors to making it a fast-growing and successful market? It was really the um, absolute commitment to quality and the principles of what that market is. And of course, this is second nature to you, being the daughter and granddaughter of farmers. You would know how important quality is and supporting the farmer was. And that's what's so incredible about that market is that it supports so many growers um, and makers. And 
who are all committed to excellence and quality and putting a framework around that market and holding it to account and letting that be also led by uh, the stallholders. Uh, and, you know, we would do things like we would do farm audits. We would, you know, there was a lot of like governance and process around it. But because of that, there was this real excellence um, and that you knew when you went to that market, everything you were buying from it was actually made or grown by the people that were selling it to you. How much of the farm, your experience on the farm, did you take, how much of your personality and your person and your history did you take to developing the Carriage Works farmers markets? I think I took all, all of it. Like, I think I don't really, in some ways I don't really have much separation between the personal and uh, and work. And I think that experience of, you know, growing up regionally growing up on a farm that sense of collaboration that comes from being from a small town I think I would I was lucky to you know have those experiences and bring them into how I work from an arts and cultural sense but also how I work from um, you know from the perspective of Carriage Works Farmers Markets and I think that sort of uh, life experience that I bring into my work um, think it gives me a different type of context because I I don't think of I don't have a hierarchy in how I work and, and it's very much um, about collaboration so I think uh, I really I really think that I bought that fully into you know how I was lucky enough to work with that group of people and how I was lucky enough to work with a broader group of creatives um, in the making of carriage works and it was really uh, the input uh, and the ideas of all of those, you know, literally thousands of people that made Carriage Works. Uh, and it was just really the coordination of that and enabling that that made Carriage Works happen. So that history and that experience of farm is innate. It's in you. It's never going anywhere. It's inbuilt. Yes. So that is a, a wonderful foundation to sort of build anything on. And then you take that wherever, don't you, that community, that farm, yeah. being part of something or, you know. And I think it's the connectivity of things and the um, it's the connectivity and the sort of lack of hierarchy hierarchy and the absolute requirement for collaboration to succeed and to exist really wonderful wonderful you know i love um you know people that it's their business hospitality is their business are the most generous warm you know open people i love i love um and you can see straight through it can't you when it's not generous when it's not warm when it doesn't come from the heart yeah there's nothing there's nothing hidden and i think that's the same with um it's very much in hospitality you have to be authentic in what you're doing and how you're doing it because it comes through in the whole experience and i think that's exactly the same for arts and culture and for cultural institutions. Can you list some people who you considered heroes of the Carriage Works Farmers Market? Well, Carly Kwong, of course, the incredible, the, the incredible KK, who I absolutely adore. What are some of her favorite dishes? I mean, she's got a very large repertoire and she's a wonderful storyteller. Can you pick one or two of her dishes that really stand out and how they make you feel? Uh, I remember she did a very special dinner for us, for the artists, the French artists who actually just passed away recently, Christian Boltanski. And uh, I remember she did this incredible dinner and um, as part of it, she had live ants. And I remember 
sitting across from Christian Boltanski and him eating these, um, these live um, green sugar ants and just his absolute surprise and wonder about that as and as an experience and I just think she's so expansive and an amazing storyteller through the food that she creates and the experiences that she creates for people. Did you eat these ants as well? I did. And what was it like? Explain <laughs> like so. An, they sort so. of sting your tongue a little bit. Yeah, it's um, they sting your tongue a little bit. So the, you put your hand on the plate. Yeah. And the ant is alive, and you like. He crawls up. Give them a little she. kill. And <laughs> so, and, and are you given instruction on how to eat this ant dish? Not really. So you just. Plate of <laughs> and it was just plate. hand. I think it was handed around. And um, did the ant accompany anything? Mm-mm. So she served that, and that preceded the next part of her banquet. Exactly, exactly. It was so, it was so surprising, and so it just created this sort of like energy at the table. And I think that's what um, you know really great creatives can do is like dial up and dial down the energy of the people sitting in a room together just through you know how they present food or um, how they create that experience and she is um, definitely a master of that because every single component of um, you know the food that she um, creates she has stories and connectivity and context with and I think um, that's what makes you know what she does um, internationally renowned in terms of um, connecting to to produce, but also telling that story in a very distinctive way. So, Lisa, as I talk to you about food and we speak about different dishes and all the rest of it, yeah, you're not great on remembering the actual dish. No, you're actually <laughs> wonderful about remembering the theatre around it. For you, it's not you bring in good food, so it's a given. And once that happens for you, am I right in saying this? Yeah. Once this happens for you, you just let go and just watch the theatre of people connect to food and around it. So it's yeah. not really what's on the plate. It's what's going on around the table. Yeah, I think it's what the foods uh, and their overall experience um, happens. Because I think one of the things, you know, I, I, it's the light level. It's the sound level. It's, the, it's every single detail of the experience, not just the food. So it's you- like the chairs. It's like what's on the table. It's like how people are welcomed into the space. It's like everything around it as well, as much as, much as the food. So what you seem to do, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, is you seem to curate, you bring it all in, and then you step back and become an audience participant. <laughs> is that right? Like that's the feeling I get. And you just watch it unfold and you let people do their stuff. Yeah, and I think that goes back to that whole concept of making space to tell stories because it's not um you know it's not you know i'm not the i'm not the story (laughs) i'm not the story (laughs) yeah i'm 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 the person that is helping to create the space for others to tell their stories and you know a story is better told in a dark room with amazing food that is as conceptual as you know the whole experience of you know, who you're sitting next to, what you talk about, how you got in that day, how you arrived, how you were welcomed. The Powerhouse Project is a huge one with the move out to Parramatta. 
I know you feel an enormous and tremendous sense of responsibility about leading it. Can you tell me about that? They're based on the responsibility that I feel um, to everyone that works in the institution, but also the responsibility that I feel uh, to the community in, a, in, the, in the broader sense, in terms of the investment into our institution having impact. And really for it to have impact, I have a responsibility to redefine what a museum is and what it can be for its community. And so that redefinition means substantive change uh, in terms of what we do and who we do it with and the hierarchy of how we do it and the processes around doing it. And when I say doing it, I mean all of the things that come with these institutions in terms of creating experiences, creating exhibitions, um, you know, enabling storytelling, um, collecting histories and archives and objects. So rethinking how we do all of that so it can have more impact and it can have more benefit to more people um, and it can uh, make different types of contributions. And so for me, that responsibility is um, one that I take really seriously. Western Sydney is an incredible place. It's actually a third of New South Wales lives in Western Sydney and it's really, um, I think, the most culturally diverse, most fast-growing, most contemporary place in, the, in this country. And really, it will be Western Sydney and the communities of Western Sydney that will make the powerhouse more relevant into the future. And it will be um, what makes the powerhouse. You know, with the New South Wales government, we're creating this incredible cultural institution. And it's, it will be the first time that a major New South Wales cultural institution will be located in Western Sydney. And I have a very fundamental belief that communities, no matter where they are, should have direct access to world-class arts and culture. And this project will do this for Western Sydney for the first time. And the only way that that powerhouse Parramatta will mean anything to those communities is if they see themselves in our institution. How will you achieve that? Yes, yeah, so we'll actually be led by the communities of Western Sydney. So we'll be commissioning projects that you know are led by um, culturally specific communities. Um, we'll be led by the incredible tech and broader agriculture industries that are based there. We'll be collaborating with Western Sydney University, who's our major uh, education partner. So really, we've already started that process of collaborating right across Western Sydney and we'll be just continuing to expand that as we go forward. Oh, how wonderful. And now for your third food memory, or is it your fourth? Maybe it's your fifth. I can't keep count. Take, look, take us on another, another food memory. Go on. <laughs> so I do have um, my my husband, Glenn. He's an artist and he also loves working a lot. It's very hard to drag him out of the studio. and um, But I do have like amazing memories of traveling with him. And one of one of the one of my very favorite memories is going to Mexico with him a number of years ago now. And it's hard to drag him to restaurants, but 
I managed to convince him to go to... Why, why doesn't he like restaurants? I don't know if he likes sitting still that long. <laughs> and I think he loves... Well, he loves food, but he would love going to a market in Mexico, not like Mexico's most important restaurant. <laughs> so he likes to get immersed in the actual food. Yeah. You know, I think that, that dinner that we went to, I convinced him to go to Pujol, which is a... Um, you know, quite an extraordinary, you know, internationally extraordinary restaurant. And um, I think there was maybe 10 courses or something, but it was incredible because we sat there for like two hours, maybe three hours. And um, the food was extraordinary. I think there was ant dust in that. Ant dust. There was ant dust, definitely. So um, again, Lisa, can't remember the dishes, but yeah. we can remember everything that yeah. went on around it. Exactly. <laughs> there was ant dust and there was something that had smoke coming out of it. Anyway, I remember it was amazing. It's, I remember we drove there. I was it in Mexico in City? It was in Mexico City. Mm. And um, just being in, Me in Mexico City was extraordinary in itself. But I, I remember mostly sitting with him for like three hours and it was special. And Lisa, for your charity that you want to draw attention to, what is it? Well, I think Saba, I've been watching incredible people like Sam Mostyn and Kylie Kwong really, um, you know, working hard with that incredible organization, Addison Road. And I think, you know, there's no, no better um, organisation to support than Addie Road. And what does Addison Road do? They essentially have been creating these bespoke uh, food packages over the last six months to go to local communities to support them through lockdown. So incredible. I think from what I understand, they really changed to support what the needs are in a community in any given time. And that's something I totally respect, that sort of responsiveness of an organisation like Addie Road. Lisa, your life's work gives credence to the statement, if you want something done, ask a busy person. Thank you so much for sticking to the brief of three food memories. I'll be sure <laughs> to repay the gesture. We're very much looking forward to the finished product of the powerhouse at Parramatta, and I wish you and all your brilliant team great success. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Plated Three Food Memories. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends about it, online or in person. You can also subscribe, rate it, and write a review. Bye for now.